Good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning. For those of you who were with us in the morning Bible study, I got an unprecedented third bell. So uh, for those of you who are worried about getting a third bell this morning, I will try and keep my sermon within reasonable limits. But thank you for your, for your patience. Um, we're going to continue our study in Revelation. We started this morning in uh, Bible study, uh, looking at the book of Revelation and trying to, uh, to understand a little bit more about its mysteries and hear what it has to say to us. Uh, we'll continue that study here in the sermon this morning uh, from a slightly different text. Uh, for those of you who are there in the, the morning study, we looked a little bit at the rapture, um, the, the belief of a thousand-year reign um, that comes from Revelation chapter 20, what it means, how we can understand it, how we can interpret it. Um, and we started, we tried to get into, uh, um, into Armageddon, and we basically went over that quickly at, uh, at the, uh, the end of the class. Um, what we're going to do today is take a look at, uh, at the book of Revelation in a little bit uh, different perspective. Um, but before we get into the study of Revelation, uh, I think it's important to, to say a few words about the book of Revelation itself, what it is, uh, how we can understand it, how we should approach it. Um, as with any scripture, as with any word of God that, uh, that we have, uh, we need to handle it correctly. We need to, to treat it with reverence and the respect um, as the inspired word of God, um, but we shouldn't be afraid of it. And I think uh, many times we, we look at the book of Revelation uh, much like we look at the book of Daniel or the book of Ezekiel uh, with some fear and trepidation um, because it has some symbols, it has some words, it has some themes uh, that we may not understand, we may not study a lot. Um, and rather than really uh, try and get a handle on it, we avoid it. And I think that's much to our, uh, to our demise. Um, as children of God, we should be interested in the full word of God um, and understand what it has to say to us. So let's approach the, uh, the book of Revelation not with fear and loathing, uh, not with something that's... Uh, um, too great for us to understand. There are mysteries, there are questions that we will certainly have about the book of Revelation, but there are questions I have uh, about the rest of the New Testament that I'm not able to answer. Um, we certainly aren't going to be able to answer all the questions we have. Um, I have a list and I'm, I'm putting together and I'll ask him when I get there at the, at the end times and I'll finally get the answer then. Um, but I have to recognize that there are questions I will not be able to answer here uh, on this earth and that's okay. Um, that doesn't make me less of a, of a believer or less of a faithful child of God. Um, but when we approach the Word of God, let's approach it with an open heart and an open mind to hear what it has to say to us. There have been a lot of disagreements, a lot of different opinions about the book of Revelation, about when it was written, about why it was written, about to whom it was written, the events in it, the characters that we read about it, the beast, the woman, the child, the red dragon, um, the faithful believers, uh, the merchants of the world. All of these images that come to us um, are unusual for us. They're new for us. And we, we approach it um, with some trepidation. It's commonly called apocalyptic literature simply because it deals with the end times, much like Daniel um, and Ezekiel also speak to, to end times. And apocalyptic literature often has images and symbols that may not be readily apparent. And a lot of people have spent a lot of time and a lot of effort trying to read into the book of Revelation trying to calculate exactly when the end times are going to happen. You have some that come up and say, I know when the end times are going to be. It's going to be on this date. And when that date comes and passes, they have egg all over their face. And they look at, well, I, I didn't calculate it correctly. It's now going to be two months down the road. Or the, the end of time is going to be in six months or in a year. Or it's going to be after this period is ended. 
Well, the Bible tells us that nobody knows but the Father when the end of time will come. So let's not spend our, our time and our efforts and our energies trying to calculate when the end of time will come. The message for us is we need to be ready whenever it does come. Because we don't know when it's going to be, we're called to be ready each and every day. And that's our charge as Christians, to be faithful each and every day. So we realize that as we go through the, the book of Revelation, there are two sides. Just as there are two sides to the proverbial coin, there are two sides in many different ways in the book of Revelation. We obviously have the good versus the evil. Um, we have uh, God and his son and his followers against Satan and his followers. We have hope against fear. We have a message of, of eternal redemption versus eternal damnation. We have heaven and hell, and we have life and death. So we have the opposites that the book of Revelation brings to us in a myriad of different symbols and signs. So the interpretation that we, that we make of the, the book of Revelation, what it says to us, must be sensitive to see both sides to that message, both the good and the bad, what is promised, but also what is warned. Who is it written to? Why was it written? Who was the original audience? As we talked about briefly in the class this morning, um, we need to be careful to not limit the word of God to simply being applicable to the first century church. It's, it's easy and, in fact, commonplace, I believe, for, the, for people to look at the book of Revelation and say, well, it was written in the middle of the first century, therefore it relates to Nero, and the message that was given is really only applicable for the first century church. The images that are in the book of Revelation are really only meant to be understood by the first century church. Certainly the first century church understood them, and it was, it was well understood and recognized by them. But doing so cuts the inspired word of God short, and it says that there's really no applicability to us today. I would challenge us that there is, in fact, much to be learned and gained by a study of Revelation, that there is much that we can understand and apply to our lives as Christians here in the 21st century, much as there was in the first century church. Certainly the first century church would have recognized certain symbols and, and individuals as, as contemporary events, as contemporary rulers. And yet those challenges to the power of God and the authority of God still continue to this day. They didn't end in the first century or the second or the third. They certainly are continuing on, and Satan is continuing to war against us each and every day. And it will continue to be so until he comes again. But let's take a look at the Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3. At the very beginning of the book, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 3. We are called as readers, as hearers of the word, to be active and diligent in that effort, in that hearing of what God's word has to say to us. Right at the beginning of the book, it says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy. And heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. Right at the beginning, we are called to listen, to hear, and to heed the message that's given to us in the book of Revelation. In fact, in the next couple of chapters, chapters 2 and 3, the letters to the churches, the seven churches of Asia, they are called each and every time, seven times, they are called to hear the message, hear what the word of God says to them. And we, as children of his, are also called today to also hear. In chapter 3, in verse 3, we're called to hear. Chapter 3 of Revelation, verse 3. So remember what you have received and heard, and keep it, and repent. Therefore, if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come to you. 
That's as true today as it was 1,000 years ago or 2,000 years ago. It's as true as it will continue to be until he comes again. So Christ will come again, and we are called to hear and to repent from our wicked ways so that we will be ready when he comes. And again, in chapter 13 and verse 9, we're called again to hear. But finally, in chapter 22 and verse 8, the last chapter of Revelation, as a bookend, if you will, to the message in verses 8, and then again, verses 18 and 19. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. Moving down to verse 18 and 19. I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part from the tree of life and from the holy city, which which are written in this book. And so we see that we are called even today as continuing to be hearers and readers of the word of God, that we are to heed what it says. And we are not to add to it, and we are not to take away from it. The message is whole and complete. But hearing is not simply a passive exercise. It's not simply a, I understand the words that are being spoken to me. It's an active, uh, it's an engaged doing of what the word of God calls us to do. So how do we approach this word that we're hearing? How do we approach the book of Revelation? We read it, but how are we to understand it? So there are different interpretative approaches. Is it crystal clear that the first century church understood all of the images that were in the book of Revelation? We'll never know. I highly doubt that that they would have understood every symbol that was in the book. And yet we see that as the authorities that were in rule and power at that time may have been recognized in some of the symbols and some of the images that are in the book of Revelation. So they may have understood them. So, for example, in, in the Roman rulers of the time, Nero or Caligula or Domitian, they may have been recognized as re- uh, represented by some of the figures in the book of Revelation. And yet, as I mentioned, we need to continue interpreting and understanding that the beast is not a simple individual, that the war against God is not simply limited to one emperor or one ruler or one time period, that the war against God continues to this day. Satan continues to to prowl around looking whoever he may devour. He's always looking for others that he can deceive to follow him and to follow his ways. So as we continue to understand the book of Revelation and we apply it to ourselves, we understand the spiritual warfare that's being challenged um, and how God is being threatened um, by those who would fight against him. And yet we see that this threat is not something that would um, damage or, or threaten God in his ultimate power and victory. And that is, as we will see, what we have to look forward to. So we look at some of the large characters of Revelation that I mentioned before, some of the apocalyptic apocalyptic views, say that five times fast, um, that we see in Revelation. We see the beast, we see the red dragon, uh, we see Satan himself, we see beasts of the sea, beasts of the land, we see serpents, we see uh, those who worship God, We have a number of different images we talked about briefly in class this morning. There are a number of different sevens uh, that are grouped in um, in the book of Revelation. But we also see that there are those who worship God, those who follow God, those who are doing God's will. 
the four creatures that worship him that we meet at the very beginning of the book um, are symbols or representative of those who would worship God, who understand his authority and his rule, his power and his might, and continue to honor him as the ultimate uh, creator of the universe. So do we limit the Bible by interpreting it only for a first century audience, or do we continue to interpret it as we understand it today? So let's look at a couple of different ways that we can understand and break down the book of Revelation. Um, as many have, have argued for different interpretations, different uh, categorizations, uh, different structures to the book of Revelation, uh, it's not simply an A to Z, this happens first and then this and then this, look at it in chronological order. Um, the, the book of Revelation is not simply laid out as a, a simple timeline, a linear timeline of events that will happen. There are overlappings, there are interactions, um, there are loopings around, and even retellings of certain actions. But if we look at the book of Revelation, there are four different instances of where we see that the, the writer, John, uh, was in the spirit. And I think if we look at that structure, if we look at that simple fourfold approach to the book of Revelation, we will understand better the message, the ultimate high-level message that it has to give to us. And we could spend weeks on getting down into the different images and the different views um, that we have of the book of Revelation. But I think let's start with the, the first four, um, sorry, start with a fourfold breakdown of where we see in the spirit in Revelation, because each of those begins a different scene um, in the book. So let's turn back to the beginning of Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. In verse 10, where it says, I, and he's speaking again, John is speaking here. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet, saying, write in a book what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And here he begins to recount the vision that he's given. The first time that John was taken in the spirit, he was called to write down all that he was told. And in fact, there's only one instance in the book of Revelation where he is, something is revealed to John, and he's told not to, not to write it down. That's chapter 10, verse 4. All the other instances that John saw in the book of Revelation, he wrote down in this book for us today. And we have it here. So he was in the spirit on that Lord's day. And we see here that the Lord's Day, as we'll see in other passages as well, is not representative of Sunday or the first day of the week. But the Lord's Day is the day when he will be victorious, when he will ultimately reign and defeat his enemies. That's the first time that we're, we find John in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, where he begins the, the vision of the book of Revelation. Let's turn over a chapter, chapters, chapters to chapter 4 and verse 2. Again, there are four times where this is in the Spirit, as mentioned in Revelation. The first is in 1 and verse 10, chapter 1 and verse 10. The second is in chapter 4, um, verses 1 and 2. Chapter 4, verses 1 and 2 and following. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet, was speaking with me. He said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardis in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. 
Around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. One of the thrones from out of one of the thrones came flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was something like a sea of glass, like crystal. And in the center and around the throne, four living creatures, full of eyes, in front and behind. And then he goes through the description of the four creatures. And in verse 10, And the twenty-four elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne, and will worship him who lives forever and ever, and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. And so we see in the first time he was taken in the Spirit, he was called to recount the visions that he was given. Here in the second time that John is taken in the Spirit, he's revealed the ruler of the universe, the God Almighty, sitting on his throne, surrounded by the four creatures, by the 24 elders. And those who believe him worship him and sing his praises. So we see the ultimate power that God has right up front. And the second window that we have into the book of Revelation reveals the ultimate authority and power that God has. With that backdrop, with that understanding of who God is and the power that he has and how he should be worshipped, let's turn over to chapter 17 and verse 3. Chapter 17 and verse 3. Chapter 17, verse 3, And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations, and of the unclean things of her immorality. And on her forehead a name was written, A mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and the abomination of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered greatly. And the angel said to me, Why do you wonder? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has seven heads and ten horns. And so we see here in the third time that John was carried in the spirit, he's taken to witness the challenge that would be made against God and against God's authority and power. And yet we see, having already witnessed God's ultimate power and authority on his throne, that there is no threat to God's uh, continuing dominance and rule. But let's turn over to chapter 21 and verse 10. Again, there are 22 chapters in Revelation, the next to last chapter, chapter 21. The fourth and last time that John is carried away in the spirit. We've seen God, we've seen the charge that was given to John We've seen the throne of God, and we've seen this, the, uh, the woman, Babylon, who would threaten God. Um, but here we see in the final instance where, God is, where John is taken in the spirit, chapter 21 and verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, her brilliance was, very, was like a very costly stone and as a stone of crystal clear jasper. And he goes on to, to describe the new Jerusalem. So we see here ultimately that God's victorious 
And in these four simple ways, we have the, the overall structure of Revelation. We see that the power and the, the importance of God, the letters that were written to the seven churches, encouraging them, challenging them to stand up against the temptations that will come against them, against the false prophets, against those who would war against God. We see that, that those who would come up, the beast and the others who would wage war against God, are ultimately defeated and the God is ultimately victorious. And it's that victory that we have to look forward to as promised. But where else other than Revelation do we see the end of the, uh, the, end of the world? The day of the Lord is described where else in the New Testament? Let's turn over to a few passages, um, read a few, and I'll uh, give you a few for, for notes for reading later. Uh, if you'll mark 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 13, it's called the revelation of his glory. The revelation of his glory will come. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8, the lawless one will be slain at the end of time. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 23, we see those who belong to Christ will be made alive at his coming. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8, we see that those who are um, faithful until that day will earn a crown of righteousness, which echoes the, the crown of life that is promised in chapter 2 and verse 10 of Revelation. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and verses 1 through 11, let's take a look at 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 1 through 11. Now as to the times and the epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. While they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night nor of darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on a breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has destined us not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, just as you are also doing. So we are promised that we will live with him. We will be with him ultimately. And we're not destined for wrath and as it, all of this passage echoes so many times, so many of the themes that we see in Revelation, the seven bowls of God's wrath that are meted out. So God has not destined us for that wrath, but he has destined us for salvation through his son. And ultimately in John chapter 6 and verses 39 and 40, God will raise the, Christ will raise those up who are his on the last day. And just as Luke 17 and 30 says, fire and brimstone will fall from heaven on the day which the Son of Man is revealed, that promise is to us and is revealed and ultimately realized in the book of Revelation. So we see that the book of Revelation is not something to be feared, but it's something to, to be encouraged by if we're believers, if we're faithful to him, following him, realizing the promise that he's given to us. And yet if we're not believers, 
It's a time and an opportunity for us to turn about and to change our ways, to realize the power and the authority God will ultimately have in victory over evil, over evil that will be finally defeated. So it's called to encourage us as believers and to convict unbelievers into following God and his will. So the question for you today is, what is your response to the book of Revelation? Are you going to ignore it? Are you going to pretend like it's not there and not listen to it, not hear it, not heed its warnings or believe in its promises? If we're worried, if we're distracted, if we're distressed, let's take hope and comfort in the promise that God has had that when his son returns, he will return in victory and that with him, we will also be victorious. Let's turn over to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, starting at verse 29. Being then the children of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. And so we see that Christ will come back from the dead. He will come again a second time, and he will judge as God has said. So now that you've heard the word, now that you understand the message that's been preached to you, the promise that you have, what will you do with it? In in Luke chapter 13, Luke chapter 13, the first five verses. And now on the same occasion, there were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this faith? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the Tower of Siloam fell and killed were worse culprits than all the men who live in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And so Jesus here is using the simple illustration of a tower that fell over and killed 18 people. And we see that that those were killed by Herod. And Jesus is saying, are you better off than they are? Are you worse than they are? But we are all called to repent wherever we are and whoever we are, to repent from our evil ways. Otherwise, we will perish. So don't wait for a better time. Let's turn finally over to 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3. And this is the prayer that I would have for each one of us today as we think about the call that we have to respond and to repent from our evil ways. Knowing this, first of all, and this is 2 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 3. Knowing this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. 
For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow concerning his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all of these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat? But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found in him in peace, be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, wrote to you also in all his letters, speaking in them of which things in which some were hard to understand, which the untaught and the unstable distort, as they do also the rest of scriptures to their own destruction. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And that's my prayer that each one of you would hear the message, would respond to it, would recognize the power and the hope that we have of being with God forever after the ultimate victory. But only if we're ready, only if we've been found faithful. That call is for each one of us to continue to follow him and to live as he would have us to live. To continue to follow him and be faithful. Not distracted by the cares and concerns of this world, but looking toward the ultimate promise that he has made for us. If you are able to respond to that call, now is the time. Please make your needs known as together we stand and sing.